All right, I'm continuing in a series called Seductions of Satan. This is part five. I've dealt with Babylon falling. I'm dealing with the end times. I'm dealing with spiritual warfare, deliverance, exposing the enemy. And in this series, the goal of this series is to see people set free. And I'm actually teaching on a lot of subjects that is not taught typically in church. And that's sad and unfortunate. Amen? But these are topics you're not going to hear too many places. And so I'm dealing with a lot of things that deal with people being set free individually, families being set free, churches set free. And tonight, in part five, I'm entitled this, The Sword of the Lord, but I'm dealing more with, the, in the area of churches, and people in churches, as far as Christians, I'm going to deal with the company that you keep, what the Word says about these things, and man, I just feel the anointing all over this Word, I really do. And a lot of people won't... It's not that people won't preach about it. There are people that won't. But a lot of people also won't. For some reason, a lot of people won't live this. And God will move and find people that's trustworthy. During the revival that broke out at Pensacola back in the 90s and and first part of the century. God moved so powerfully. But what a lot of people don't understand is that Brother Kilpatrick said the Lord told him that he was not his first choice. And somebody had mentioned this during the revival. They said that they think the reason why God moved at Pensacola was because, you know, Pastor Kilpatrick wouldn't put up with any funny business in the church. And and I heard him talking about this. He was referencing that. And he said, you know, he said that's probably the reason why God did move because of that reason. Let me tell you why. Because a lot of times people won't deal with this stuff I'm talking about. The Lord will pass them by and not use them. And he'll use somebody else that will. Because they don't have the backbone, they don't have the guts to stand up for what's right. You hear what I'm saying? To stand up for what's right. And they won't keep the right company. And God knows eventually, when push comes to shove, they're so wishy-washy. They don't have a, a strong enough backbone that eventually they'll bend. They'll cripple under the pressure. They're not dependable. And so God will pass them by and use somebody else, even in the local church. God will pass individual people by and use another person in their place because of this reason I'm talking about tonight. So I'm dealing with the sword of the Lord, and I'll explain that as I go. But let me give you a few scriptures. I really feel like you guys are going to learn some things tonight. So be ready to take notes and jot a few things down because there's some things that you've never heard that I'm going to be talking about. All right. Let me give you a few scriptures. Matthew 10, 34. Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. Last week, I, I thought this was in Galatians, and I was thinking about a different passage. But 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen says, for there must also be... Now, this is an interesting scripture. There must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved by God may become evident among you. Did everybody get that? There has to be some level of factions to see who's approved of God and who isn't. Matthew 24.10, it says in the last days that at that time, and this is the day we're living, 
that many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So we're living in a time of a lot of betrayal and a lot of hatred. And also 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good character. So the company you keep has a lot to do with the life you live. Let me say up front about idols and about greed. I talked about kingdom finance last week. I talked about tithing. The importance of, there is an aspect to sowing and reaping, but I talked about blessing Israel and blessing the poor and gave you some things that will help you financially. But ultimately, we've got to make sure that there's not any idols or greed in us because, you know, sometimes people say, well, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that it is. But somebody that's poor can still be greedy. You know, people think that just because somebody's well-off that they're prideful. That's not necessarily true. There's people that are really well-off that are really humble. And then you'll see somebody on the street that's a hobo that'll kick the hobo next to them because they feel like they're superior to them and they have a pride. It's not about status. It's about the heart. And we've got to make sure that there's not any idols in us. An idol is anything that you put before God. Anything that's more important to you than God. Anything that you trust in. See, some people trust in money more than they trust in God. And to them, money's an idol. And in the last days, the Bible says that there is going to be an economic crash. And it's going to cause the economies of the world to come together with a one world economy. And in those days, the Antichrist is going to arise to power. And when he does, he is going to force people to take a mark, either on their right hand or forehead. And they won't be able to buy or sell without it. We don't know what the mark is. It's probably going to be a lot more subtle than what a lot of people think. But we're living in a time when that is not far-fetched at all. It could happen at any time. So I said that to say, having this economic mark where you're not able to buy or sell without it, it's going to determine people's heart when it comes to money. Because if people have a greed issue and a love of money issue in them, then they're going to sell out Christ so that they can have things. They can have material things. So make sure there's no idols and there's no greed. I've talked about iniquity. Iniquity is that bent, crooked perverseness that's in people. It's very strong in DNA, traveling down family lines. But it's very connected to idols. The Bible says that, that if people worship other gods, they have idols. That God will visit the iniquity of the fathers to a third and fourth generation. And so it's connected to idols. So make sure that there's no idols. Make sure that there is nothing in you that is greedy and materialistic. Alright, now dealing with a few other things. Let me get into this sermon. Christ's heart is for, for unity in the body. We know that. But not at all cost. I want everybody to hear that. Christ's heart is for unity, but not at all costs. If you have to tolerate sin, live in compromise, or be controlled by another person, or abused by another person, to have unity with them, something is seriously wrong. Let me say that again. Christ's heart is for unity, but not at all cost. If you have to tolerate sin, 
live in compromise, be controlled by another or abused by somebody, to be able to get along with them and be unified with them, something is seriously wrong. And we have to set boundaries with people. Living at peace with all men, the Bible says to strive to live at peace with all men. But being at peace with all men does not mean that you have the same level of relationship with everyone. When relationships are not filtered through the scriptures, we remove ourselves from God's design. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me say it again. Being at peace with all men does not mean that you have the same level of relationship with all men. When relationships are not filtered through scripture, we remove ourselves from God's design. And I gave you guys at the very end of this sermon, I gave you something that's filled with scriptures to help you filter through your life the level of relationship that you need to have with people. But there are certain people that you can be really close to and there's other people that you can't. And if you, and if you do allow them in your life in too much of an intimate capacity and you entrust them with too much information, it's going to cause a big problem for everybody. And whenever Pastor Kilpatrick read that prophetic word, and I, I, I let you guys listen to it, about vindication and about people being restored, and I was praying about that, I felt the Lord tell me that that's, I mean, I believe that's coming, but I felt the Lord tell me that I'm going to have to set boundaries. So there's certain people that you can allow in your life in a really close setting, and there's other people you can't. You can be acquaintances with them, you can love them, but they cannot be that. And I'm going to show you it through Scripture. Uh, John 17, Jesus was praying that his people be one, as him and the Father are one. That's Jesus' heart. We know that. We need to strive for unity. But let me say this. There are people that Satan uses to bring division. And once Satan has used someone, a curse rests on them until they get things right. You know, in the Garden of Eden, I'm just going to talk to you guys tonight, okay? I'm going to go through this, but I'm just going to be real free in this sermon, okay? In the Garden of Eden, Satan, whenever he came to Eve, he chose to come through the serpent, and there was, there was the serpent there, and it was a, an animal, a created being, but he chose to indwell that serpent, and the serpent allowed him to do it. And when he entered the serpent, he used the serpent to be his mouthpiece. Are you following me? You guys are going to see some things tonight while I'm talking to you. But he used the serpent to be his mouthpiece. And the serpent yielded to it. He allowed it. And once the devil was through with the serpent, and he had already deceived Eve, Eve fell, Adam fell, it was done then there was a powerful curse that rested on the serpent from that day forward. You cannot yield yourself to be used by the devil and it not have consequences. You know, Satan can only be in one place at one time. He has set up principalities and powers over geographic areas, nations, cities, 
regions. And so I'm not dealing with Satan himself. But whenever the enemy is using people, he's, they're demon spirits that are using people like a puppet. And that demonic spirit, however he rides them, controls them, manipulates them, however he does it, they are yielding to it. And that evil spirit will use them to be his mouthpiece. And then once he's through with them, there's a powerful curse that will rest on them until they deal with it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm not just talking about non-Christians. I'm actually going to talk primarily about Christians tonight. Now the Bible mentions to not be unequally yoked with the unbelievers. It's very important that we do not move into relationships that God has not sanctioned. And that means as Christians, our primary relationship should be with other Christians. Because the Bible says, what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship is there between Christians and non-Christians? I mean, what fellowship is there? And it's talking about being unequally yoked. Now what you've got to understand about a yoke, is sometimes when you say this, in modern society, somebody's thinking of an egg, you know, or something. All right. A yoke... If you've ever watched a western, okay, let's use that, would take two horses that are, that are riding, you know, that are pulling a stagecoach, and they would take those two horses and there would be a yoke that's wooden, and it would link them together. And so they had to have, you couldn't have some giant Clydesdale and then some little pony riding together because it's going to mess everything up. They'd basically be going like this the whole time, okay? They had to have two horses that were similar in strength and size. And when they were, they could work together. And so the Bible says to not be unequally yoked. It's talking about that you come, you come into a yoke relationship with the Lord first. But you come into a yoke relationship with people that are of the same spirit. Same spiritual DNA. And they have your heart. They're like you. Are you hearing me? So it's very important when you're moving past just having acquaintances and you're moving into covenant relationships, close friends, ministries coming together, and especially marriage, that you make sure that you're not unequally yoked, but you make sure that you yoke yourself with people that are of the same spiritual DNA and strength that you are. This is good preaching. Now, Satan can attack from the outside, but it's never going to have much power. I could give a lot of examples through church history, and not only that, but Jesus' ministry. Every time Satan tried to attack Jesus' ministry, he always stirred up controversy. The Pharisees, there was gossip, there was slander, there was rumors. There was all this stuff, and it never amounted to anything until Satan got inside the camp through Judas. Throughout church history... Every time Satan tried to stir up controversy and attack and gossip and slander and all this stuff from the outside, it never affected a revival. In fact, they called it free publicity because it seemed like more people would come. And even when you looked at something to, like today and you see the different revivals, it's the same thing. But you remember the, the movie Passion of the Christ. The more controversy, the more people went to see it. What Satan is after is getting inside the camp. 
He's not after these outside attacks that don't amount to anything. He's after getting inside the camp because once he gets in, he wants to try to bring division and death and destruction from the inside. So Satan's primary goal is to figure out how he can get in the camp. Strategizing, trying to figure it out. And there are certain people, and I'm dealing with Christians, I could go a different route and talk about non-Christians and things like that, because there are people that serve the devil deliberately, but I'm not going there. I'm going to deal just with Christians today. But there are people that unfortunately, for whatever reason, it's like when it comes time for Satan to launch an attack, He can tap them on the shoulder and they'll go right along with whatever he's doing. I don't understand it. I never have. But they do. So I'm going to talk to you today about witchcraft. And I'm hoping to get some things through to you you probably never heard. This is why I think you're going to want to take notes, okay? So what witchcraft is... If you look it up in Webster's, it talks about, you know, casting spells, something like that. And that's part of it, but it's a very low level. In fact, that's a very elementary definition of witchcraft. As far as the Bible goes, the Bible gives a very deep, profound understanding about these things. And what witchcraft is, basically, is control. And the way that witchcraft works, it's like a serpent that has two fangs... It'll work either through the flesh or it'll work through the magic arts. And let me explain. Galatians 5.19 says that witchcraft is a work of the flesh. So what is that talking about? Well, what what it is, it's somebody that is manipulative. They intimidate and they seek to control. And it's a flesh thing. But as I'm about to explain to you, it gets a lot deeper than that pretty quick. But somebody that has a tendency to manipulate, intimidate, and control other people. Now, manipulate, they may, they may use crying to make you feel sorry for them. They may try to give money. They may try to seduce people sexually. However it is, they try to manipulate people to get their way. That's manipulation. And the Bible calls it witchcraft. Now, they also may seek to intimidate. They may intimidate through a threat It can come in any form of trying to make somebody afraid of you, somehow intimidate you to where you'll do what they want you to do. And a lot of times these people that get into this witchcraft business, they don't even realize they're doing it, but they're operating what the Bible calls witchcraft of the flesh, and they usually will try to manipulate somebody first, and if it don't work, then they'll try to intimidate them. And if that don't work, then they'll do everything they can to destroy them. Because they know they can't control them. So that's witchcraft of the flesh. That's one fang of the serpent. The other fang is the dark arts. And that's Revelation 21.8. And it talks about those that practice the dark arts will have their place in the lake of fire. The dark arts is witchcraft. It is divination and sorcery. I don't have time to talk too much about it. We may get into it more as we go. But witchcraft is the power branch of the occult. Divination is the information branch where people go to psychics and different people 
or they'll try to divine through through a Ouija board or some kind of a divining rod or whatever. That's divination. Sorcery is where people use material objects that contain a, a power about them, and they use that to gain power. I don't want to get too much into it, but the bottom line is people have tapped into the dark arts, and they have learned how to control people through witchcraft. They have learned how to control people, whether it be a spell or a curse, some kind of a ritual. Now, in Christ's kingdom, all of the power source that's in Christ's kingdom comes from the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit Jesus is just as, just as much God as the Father, and the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father. Okay? God created us in His image. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're three, but yet we're one. That's God. He's three, but He's one. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. But the power source of the kingdom of God comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the power source. And they're just like you'll take and you'll plug something into a light socket and there's an electric current. That's the power source. When you're dealing with God's kingdom, the Holy Spirit is the power source. There's a current of supernatural power that flows all throughout heaven and all throughout the kingdom of God on the earth. But that's the only source of power. Are you hearing? Because even if an angel's walking in something that's of God, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything goes back to the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, when you're dealing with Satan's kingdom, his kingdom is just limited to this earth. He stole it from Adam. You guys know that. Now, his power source throughout his whole kingdom is witchcraft. That's his power source. So you have probably felt the power of witchcraft, maybe being around a person, being in a store, being around something, a person, place, or thing that had a satanic power on it, a satanic anointing on it, a witch or somebody you're around, and you could feel that power coming off them, and that is witchcraft power. That's what it is. It's the power of the devil. Now, what you got to understand is there's only two power sources. There's not three. You're either going to get power from God, or you're going to get power from the devil, and that's it. So when somebody, and I'm dealing with Christians today, when somebody gets into this witchcraft business where they start manipulating and intimidating and controlling other people, or they tap into the dark arts in one way or another, whatever it is, they begin to tap into satanic power. And that witchcraft power, they begin to yoke themselves together with that power. Are you hearing me? One of the things, whenever witchcraft is prevalent and at work, it's interesting because this thing will work to try to flip everything around to make somebody that's a victim of a spiritual crime, somebody that's a victim, it tries to make them look like the bad guy, and somebody that's actually the one that's abusing other people, it tries to make them look like the victim. And it turns the whole thing around. You see it all the time. Now I'm going to start bringing this into the church world. Because <clears throat> we're dealing with 
spiritual warfare. We're dealing with the sword of the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, Satan wants to try to get people inside the camp of churches that he can use them and he can tap them on the shoulder and they will be yoked together with that witchcraft and they will begin to be used by the devil to be his puppet and carry out his purposes. When that happens, if Satan can find somebody that he can use, that individual will begin to try to sow confusion and discord in the camp. They will seek to cause division, rebellion, and undermining authority. They'll always have disrespect for authority, and they'll always try to turn people against the authority. They will seek division through gossip, slander, and loshan hora. What gossip is, is when you tell, other, you tell somebody's business to people that it's not their business. That's gossip. Slander is when people are running other people down behind their back. And it's sin. And the Bible talks about smiting your neighbor in secret, and, and that's the curse of Loshan Hara. There's a curse called Loshan Hara that comes on people that are talebearers. But here's a few tactics of the devil. He will try to use those people to bring severe discouragement to the point of wanting to give up. Trying to cause leadership to feel like giving up. Just like Nehemiah, Ezra went back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. And then Nehemiah followed shortly after and he was going to re rebuild the walls around, Jer or around Jerusalem. He was going to rebuild the walls. And the whole time that Nehemiah was working, there was an evil man by the name of Samballot and his friend Tobiah. The entire time that they were working on that wall, Samballot and Tobiah continually harassed them and tried to make them feel like giving up. That what they're doing was a waste of time. They would sit back and make fun of them. And they try to make them feel like that the work that they were doing, that even if a little fox or a squirrel had run across the wall, it would fall apart. And they'd sit back there and make fun of them, just constantly make fun of them and threatening them. That if you keep on, we're going to go get the, you know, we're going to tell the king that you're leading a rebellion. We're going to go get people and send them. And continually harassing them the whole time. And it was so bad that Nehemiah and his men literally had to build the wall with one hand. And they had to have a sword strapped on to be ready for war at any time. Because that's how bad the harassment was. And Satan wants to bring people around the kingdom of God to try to bring severe discouragement. So that leadership feels like giving up and quitting. The second attack that Satan will try to do is he will try to bring fearful, wimpy people around that are afraid of the giants of the devil and they want to promote fear in you. This is serious. This is literal and I've been around these people. I don't like being around these people. I love them in the Lord, but there's boundaries. And I'm going to tell you, these type of people are just like the ten spies. You know, 12 went in, Joshua and Caleb came back, and Joshua and Caleb totally admitted, there's giants. But God is able to defeat the giants and give us the victory. That was Joshua and Caleb's whole mentality. They didn't understand, in their mind, they didn't understand what was so scary. They're like, God just wiped out a nation in Egypt. We were there, you were there, what's the problem? But the ten spies were so full of fear 
they were afraid and therefore they wanted to be, listen, fear produces control. They wanted to be in control and they wanted to try to control the camp of Israel. And as they were trying to control the camp of Israel, they, um, they began to spread fear throughout the camp so that people did not want to enter the promised land because they were afraid. Are you hearing me? Satan will try his best to put fearful people around you that will kill your destiny and kill your promised land if you let them. They're afraid. They're afraid of the devil. They're afraid of spiritual warfare. They're afraid of anything that moves. They're afraid even of the move of the Holy Spirit sometimes. They're afraid of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid of doing, taking any type of chance or risk. They're afraid of stepping out in faith. They're afraid of, of financially stepping out in faith. They just live in total fear. And they want to control everybody around them and they're afraid. And if you listen to those type of people, that fear can get in you. And it's hard to take chances and risk and step out of faith when you're surrounded by fearful people. Now here's another thing. The sons of Belial. In the Bible, Belial is mentioned 27 times and Belial is a demon spirit. Now it's interesting because when Jezebel, and I'm going to deal with her a little bit today. When Jezebel in the Old Testament tried to take Naboth's vineyard, there was a man by the name of Naboth and he had an inheritance. His father had left him this beautiful vineyard. In fact, it was so beautiful that the king of Israel, who happened to be Ahab at the time, but the king wanted his vineyard. So it must have been a really nice vineyard. But it was his inheritance. And the king went to him. And the king offered him a generous sum of money to have his vineyard. But Naboth didn't want to sell it because it was sentimental. It was a family inheritance. He didn't want to sell it. So Ahab, like a little wimp, went off and cried about it. But here's the thing. Jezebel connived to get it. And this is how Jezebel's spirit works. And I'm about to give you some deep revelations. So you guys may want to jot some of this down. But the sons of Belial, what happened was Jezebel had gotten some people together and threw a feast. And she had hired some worthless men. And they, the Bible called them sons of Belial. Now Belial can be translated worthless or lawless. Okay. But she hired some worthless men. They were called sons of Belial. And while the feast was going, Naboth didn't do anything wrong. Naboth was a righteous man. But these men stood up and said, Hey, Naboth was blaspheming God. And he was blaspheming the king. And they started spreading all this stuff about Naboth that wasn't true. And they ended up taking Naboth out and stoning him and killing him. And through that murder, Ahab obtained... Naboth's inheritance, his vineyard. Are you hearing me? There are some people that they yield themselves. They yield themselves to be a puppet of the devil. Just like the snake in the garden. And when it comes time that the devil is wanting to use them to start gossiping and slandering and bringing false accusation to destroy somebody, they'll allow it in their life. And the Bible calls him a son of Belial. 
And it's serious because that spirit of Belial is serious and it's no joke. But also in this you see a spirit of murder. And this is really what I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to the spirit of murder. A lot of people think when they see murder they think to themselves of just slitting somebody's throat. And you know what? We're living in a day and time where we need the Lord's protection because there's people out there that would slit somebody's throat over $5. But when you're dealing with the spirit of murder, you're not just dealing with physical murder. The sons of Belial were the puppets of the devil to bring accusation and slander. But ultimately, it brought about a murder. And the way the spirit of murder works is like this. Satan will show up and he's wanting to take down a ministry. He's wanting to kill it. And it's a spirit of murder. It's like an assassination attempt. He's wanting to kill something. It's like an abortion, really. Before it can reach its potential, he's wanting to kill it. It's like a premature death. And so he finds some sons of Belial that he knows that he can use. And he will raise them up to be his little puppet that start bringing false accusation and slander and gossip. And they start turning people against and they start dividing and tearing it up, tearing up relationships. But behind all of that is a powerful spirit of murder that is trying to cut short. Listen, it's trying to kill, it's trying to cut short a man or a woman of God. Or a ministry, it's trying to cut short its effectiveness on the earth and kill it before it reaches its potential. It's a spirit of murder. And when somebody gets into this spirit of murder business, when you read about Cain in the Bible, Genesis 4.12, he had murdered Abel. And it says God put a curse on Cain and said, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. And you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. There's a very powerful curse that's connected with a spirit of murder. And it says here that they will work the ground, but it won't yield fruit for them anymore. And they will be restless. And restless means that without peace, you don't have peace. And they will be a wanderer. They no longer have a true home. They can't find a true home. But see, here's what happens when people get into this. They become a son of Belial. They yield themselves to be a voice for the devil. And they begin to bring about different forms of division through gossip, slander, whatever... They're bringing division. They're bringing rebellion. They're splitting up relationships. And it's a spirit of murder behind it. And what they don't realize is this. They are literally yoking themselves together with the devil's kingdom. And they're yoking themselves together with witchcraft power. Because the power behind what they're doing is the devil. It's not God. There's only two power sources. And they're yoking themselves with the devil's kingdom to carry out his purposes. 
Now, in real, in reality, when you're dealing with a real witch, they are putting a curse on somebody and then sending demonic spirits to carry it out. But it's not any different than a so-called Christian that's cursing God's people with their mouth, praying against them, being used to the devil and speaking out things against them. It's cursing them and it's releasing dark spirits against them and they're being used just as much like a witch as some black magic witch over here. They're yoking themselves with witchcraft. Now here's the scary part. God gives people space to repent. I'm about to show you this, but sometimes people will not repent. They won't change. And if they don't deal with it, the Bible says that whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. And so here they are cursing people, and there's dark forces being released, and they're totally being used of the devil. And all of that has gone out. But whatever godly Christian man, woman, ministry that's being attacked, once they get the victory and they get the breakthrough, you listen to me. Once they get the victory and they get the breakthrough, and they will eventually, that stuff will turn and it's going to come marching right back on them. And they're going to reap everything that they sowed. It may take six months, it may take three years, but God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. If you sow to the wind, you will reap a whirlwind. I'm preaching the word tonight. Now let me talk about the Jezebel. Spirit, because the Jezebel spirit is the queen that sits over all of this. She is the little queen that sits over the sons of Belial and this manipulation and control and this spirit of murder, all of that. She's behind it, I promise you. Now, I'm not really going to talk too much about the Jezebel spirit, but I just want to show you some things because as we go, I'm going to deal with it a lot more. But the church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, starting with verse 18, if you want to turn there, it goes through 28. I'm going to break this down real quick. It says, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire. The way that Jesus is being revealed, it's not in the notes, I don't believe. You may have to look in your Bible. But listen to the way that Jesus is being revealed. These are the words of the Son of God. He's revealed as the Son of God, that's great authority, whose eyes are a blazing fire, vision, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment. When Jesus comes to deal with Jezebel, he's going to come in great authority. He's going to come with eyes of fire. And he's going to come in judgment. Are you hearing me? He said, I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. But nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. And by her teaching leads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Now let me show you a few things here. Number one, it says you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now I'm going to show you something. The Bible says in the last days that the whore of Babylon, which is Jezebel, will sit on 
the waters of the earth. They're going to sit on the people groups of the earth. In other words, this is not some small little thing that's scurrying off in a bush over here. This spirit is something that has world influence in the last days. It's going to have influence all over the world. Make sure you understand that. And I want you to see the condition of the world right now. Whenever people preach against sin, the attitude right now is that you need to be more tolerant. And they present tolerance as love. Now please hear me. To the world right now, under the Babylonian system, under the influence of the whore of Babylon, they believe that tolerance is love. Tolerance is not love. Tolerance is just tolerance. If I love somebody, I'm going to tell them the truth. If I know that the Bible says if you do this, you're going to go to hell, and I don't tell them, I just tolerate it, we're all buddies, and I never tell them the truth, I don't actually love that person. Because I know that they're going straight to hell when they die. That's no different than seeing your friend standing in the road and there's a bus coming and you just look at him and you see the bus and you walk off and let him get killed. There's no difference in that. If you love the person, you're going to try to pull them out of the way. You're going to try to help them. Now that same spirit is, has crept into a lot of the church because now this same satanic message is being preached that we need to be more tolerant. And if you don't tolerate their sin, man, there can really be a price to pay. But Jesus said he has this against us if we do tolerate it. See, people want you to tolerate it, and whenever you don't, sometimes they'll turn around and try to destroy you because you're not tolerating their sin. And I'm going to tell you as plain as I can that in the last days there's going to be Revelation 17 describes this world's uh, religious system. There's going to be one world religion really, but what it is, it's going to be tolerance where all religions except true Christianity, but all religions of the world come together and it's an antichrist move and it's actually going to help him come to power. That's what tolerance causes right there. And I, and I grieve because I see it in the church. People want to be more tolerant. Listen, we need to love people, okay? But telling somebody the truth is love. And trying to help people. But a lot of times people are too prideful to listen to the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to be right and they want to win an argument. Now by her teaching, she leads misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Basically, if you listen to somebody that's under the influence of a Jezebel spirit, they will lead you into compromise. They will. They'll make righteousness start sounding like it's too far out there and that, oh, you need to bring it in a little over here. And it's like more and more compromise and compromise and compromise and compromise. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. Let's just stop there. There's, no, there's very little, if any, repentance with this group of people. 
It's almost unheard of. Very few people that have a serious issue with this will ever repent. So, verse 22, So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, which means sickness, and I will make those who commit adultery with her, that's idolatry, to suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways, and I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each according to your deeds. God won't be mocked. Whatever somebody sows, they will reap. So he says, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say, verse 24, to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned the so-called deep things of Satan, I will not impose on you any other burden except that you hold on to what you have until I come. Now listen to these promises. To the one who is victorious, those that overcome the Jezebel spirit, I will give you authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. You know what that is? That's widespread authority over principalities and powers. Just as I have received authority from my Father, verse 28, I will also give that one the morning star, which speaks of great favor. Whoever, hear, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so what you're dealing with with a lot of this stuff is you're dealing with the Jezebel spirit behind the scenes. But when people yoke themselves, and you know what? Listen to me. If you're ever in a situation where you don't agree with a church or a minister or something like that, I understand that. Okay, but if you're ever in a situation where you don't agree with something, let me tell you how to deal with it. If you feel like that you have to leave, you leave quietly. Maybe the last church service you're there, during the worship time, you speak a blessing over the church. I bless you in Jesus' name that you're going to become everything God wants you to become. And you genuinely pray for them, Lord, if there's something that needs to be fixed here, fix it. I love them and I bless them. And you, and you leave quietly. You bless them, you pray for them, and as far as, as that goes, you leave quietly and you go where God sends you. But see, what these type of people do, they can't do that. They want to try to destroy everything they can on their way out. And I'm telling you that there's a reaping. Now, when it comes to associations, you guys need to listen to me, this is important. I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and then I'm going to start closing this thing down. You guys learning something tonight? Let me say this too. The person that's on the receiving end of the gossip, the slander, the curses, the witchcraft that's coming against them, it can be a very, very powerful thing when Satan can find a willing participant that's a Christian. Let me explain to you why. You see, when you're dealing with non-Christians, you're dealing with witches or whatever, there's levels of power and the devil has people that he can use and there, there's a certain level of power there. But whenever you're dealing with Christians, just by virtue of the fact that somebody's born again and they're in covenant with God, there's automatically a level of authority that's invested in you as a Christian. Just by virtue of the fact that you're God's child alone. 
There's a level of authority there that you can lay hands on the sick and they recover. You have an authority invested in you. If Satan can find somebody that's a Christian that will let him use them, then he's using people that are using God's authority, Christ's authority that's invested in them. They're misusing that authority and they're using it for the devil. And so here's what you have. You have the witches and people over here using the dark arts and then you've got Christians over here using their authority to do the same thing and it's coming together like an arrowhead going straight at somebody. It can be a very powerful thing whenever Christians are being used of the devil. And their mouth gets out of control. In fact, James 3 talks about people's tongues being lit by the fires of hell. So if you're the recipient of this attack, when it hits, it can really powerfully affect health, finances, clarity of mind, your prayer life. It's like it's difficult to pray, difficult to grow spiritually. There can be a really strong intimidation that tries to come, confusion about your calling, confusion about the clear leading of the Spirit. There's a lot of different things that can hit. And when it hits, you need to discern what's going on. But let me tell you how to deal with it. Number one, and I mean this needs to be quick, you need to make sure that you forgive them. That needs to be quick. As soon as somebody wrongs you, you need to forgive them immediately. Because if you don't, and you walk in unforgiveness, even for a few days, it's a door for the enemy. And see... The thing about a gate of hell is this. There's a gate, uh, Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail, but a gate is a point of entry. So if you've got somebody's backyard, there's a gate to get in. That's the entry point. And if you're walking in unforgiveness, that's a pretty big gate of hell that opens for that attack to come right in. Are you hearing me? You need to make sure that you're sealed off and there's no door for this thing to get in. Number one is make sure that you forgive people. And you need to say it out loud and you need to do it by faith. You forgive by faith. You say, Lord, I'm hurt, okay, but I choose to forgive them right now and I forgive them by faith. I love them. I forgive them from my heart. And it may seem a little bit superficial because you're hurt. But you still do it by faith. You don't go by how you feel. You do it by faith. You said to do it and I'm doing it by faith. I forgive. Okay? This next thing you need to do, the Bible says you need to bless those that curse you. Do not start retaliating. If you start trying to get revenge and retaliation, and you start doing the same thing back that they're doing to you, you're repaying evil for evil, and you're no better than they are. Don't repay evil for evil, but bless those that curse you. So in other words, they're coming against you. They may hate your guts and they're speaking all kinds of things. But you are going to be right with God no matter what. You love God. You forgive them. And you you literally bless them. You say, Lord, I forgive them from my heart. And I bless them that they're going to become everything Jesus wants them to be. They're going to become strong in the Lord. And they're going to fulfill their destiny. I bless them in Jesus' name. And you pray for that. Jesus said, pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for them. Say, Lord... Do a work in their life. Help them to become like Jesus. Help them to get right with God. Anything that maybe they're not seeing, that they may not be right. You know, there's some things that aren't right. But I, I pray that you would help them to get right with you and be on fire for you and that there be healing. You know, and if you're praying that way and you're blessing them and you're walking in forgiveness, 
there's a shield of grace and protection around you. The two mistakes, the three mistakes that you can make during those times is one is to get bitter. And if you do, don't be surprised if you don't have all kinds of problems, especially health problems, show up. Number two is, is that you start allowing depression and suicidal thoughts and severe discouragement to sink in. Don't let it happen. Because that is part of that attack, is to try to beat somebody down to where they feel like dying and giving up like Elijah did in the wilderness. And the third thing is don't get into the the trap of trying to retaliate. Like, I'm going to get them back. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let God deal with them. Let God fight your battles. And that's where you've got to have faith in God because people that are fearful people are control freaks. They've got to be in control of everything. And you know what? When it comes to stuff like this, you can't be in control. In fact, it feels like there's a tornado going on spiritually around you and you're just swirling. But if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, God can put you in the eye of that tornado where it's peaceful. Things are swirling all around, but you're still in peace. But we got to, let me go to this next thing. We got to be careful about associations. You know what a hypocrite in the Bible was? That back then they did one act plays, they did dramas, and obviously didn't have any technology. But what they would do a lot of times is they would have a face that was on a stick. And if they were playing a certain character, they would hold up that face and they would act out that character. And then they would go back and they'd throw that down and pick up a different face, a different character, and they would act that out. The Greek word for hypocrite is two-faced. Seriously. It's two-faced. Meaning one, they're one way to you, to your face, another way behind your back. Remember that I said this. Anybody that will run people down and slander people to you, it's just a matter of time until you find out that they're doing it about you to someone else because they're just a two-faced hypocrite. That's all they are. And Jesus said in these, or Paul said in these last days that people would give, they would listen to, this is First, First Timothy 4, that they would listen to doctrines of demons and seducing spirits and that they would be hypocritical liars. And that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a lot of hypocrisy. You're dealing with a lot of lying out there. Hypocritical liars. It grieves my heart. I'm just going to say this prophetically for some people. And I know that there's people out there that probably need to hear this. That unfortunately probably never will. But it grieves my heart because there comes a point in time where God will give space to repent. Space to repent. And He'll have mercy and mercy and mercy. And during that time, the Holy Spirit is at work. God is trying to deal with them. But their eyes have become dull. Their ears no longer want to hear the truth. And they have hardened their own hearts. And so pretty soon God keeps dealing with them and dealing with them by His Spirit. They're not responding. And finally God will say, okay. And it won't come by the Holy Spirit. It will now come through judgment. But the same thing God intended to happen through godly sorrow that led to repentance... 
by the Holy Spirit. The same thing will happen, but it will happen through brokenness because of a result of severe judgment. That's not God's perfect will. That's because they're stubborn and they won't repent. And I feel prophetically, I feel in my heart like this is a warning going out to people. If you know, people that are going to hear this on the internet, going to hear this, you're listening to this maybe on your iPod, you're driving down the road, you're on a plane, whatever. You know, if you want to get this out to people, it's going to help some people. There's some people that literally are on the brink of severe judgment. You know how a lot of judgment works? It's not like God's up there and he's sharpening this uh, lightning or whatever and he's just waiting to slam. It's not like that. What it is, is that God is going to lift his hand and the very thing that they've been sowing is going to come back on them. That's actually a lot of times what judgment is. God says, I've done everything that I can do. I'm lifting my hand now, and now you're going to reap what you sow. And in that broken condition, a lot of times they'll repent. All right, about people we associate. Let me start closing this out. 1 Corinthians 5 1 says, It's actually reported that there is sexually immoral people among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom. And you are proud, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of fellowship the man who is doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, this is the Apostle Paul rebuking a church he planted. He says, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may have a new unleavened batch. This is where I get that saying about the yeast being purged out. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, which means keep taking the Lord's Supper. That's what that means. Not with old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now watch what's written here in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ. But is sexually immoral, which means any sexual activity outside of marriage. They're greedy. They're an idolater. They're a slanderer. Remember, slander is running people down behind their back. A drunkard. Or a swindler. A swindler is somebody that cheats people financially. He says here, do not even eat a meal with such people. What business, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? God will judge those outside, but expel the wicked person from among you. That's the Bible. Unfortunately, you will not hear a lot of sermons on this. But you know what? There's a lot of places that don't have God's glory because they won't deal with this stuff. 
You cannot have God's manifest presence, His glory, with healings, miracles, signs and wonders, and, and a blazing, fiery revival going on if you're going to tolerate sin in the camp. You can't do it. God won't do it. He will not. God is not a hypocrite. And He will not tolerate this step. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. It says, there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved by God may become evident among you. That's interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting scripture to me. That there must be some level of factions to see who is approved by God and who isn't. So how do we respond to this? Because I'm going to tell you, that there's going to have to be an increase of discernment in all of us in these last days. And let me, let me say this again. I said it earlier. A lot of people, when it comes down to something that's difficult, they'll wimp out and not do what the Bible says do. That's what a lot of people do. When it comes to, you know, push comes to shove, and the Bible is demanding that they do something difficult, they wimp out and they won't do it. You hear what I'm saying? It's like when it, when it comes down to actually having to do this, there's a lot of people that don't have the guts or the backbone to actually do it. But you know what? I don't want to be somebody that's an enabler. And whenever you're tolerating stuff in people that the Bible says not to tolerate, you're enabling them to keep living that way and feel okay with it. And I'm going to tell you something else. People that don't have the backbone to do this and live this, they're wishy-washy. They don't have the guts to do it. God will not use them for great things. He'll pass them over and use somebody else. Because when God starts using people for great things, they come under major attack of the devil. And God needs somebody in that position that has a backbone. And that they won't give in to stuff that they're not supposed to. And I don't want God to pass me by and have to use somebody else because I was too much of a wimp to take a stand for things. Amen? So how do we biblically respond? Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I urge you, brethren, to mark those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. You, whenever you see somebody that's a divisive person, you need to mark them. They're gossips, they're slanders, they're troublemakers, they're people that are speaking evil against a pastor or a church. That, those type of people, I don't associate with them. When people are like that. Mark them and avoid them. Avoiding them. Let's get real practical. What does it mean to avoid them? It means they call your cell phone and you don't answer. You see them in Walmart and you walk off the other direction. You avoid them. It's like people read this stuff and then they don't apply it to their life. When you see somebody that's like that and they're unrepentant, you avoid them. You don't want to associate with them. Titus 3.10 says to warn a divisive person once... And then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Amen. I'm just preaching the word. So the Bible talks about not eating a meal with these people. Don't, to mark them and avoid them. There are certain people that have to be excommunicated from the church because they will not repent. They just won't repent. And the Bible talks about purging the yeast out from among them. And what grieves me across right now in the landscape of a lot of Christianity right now in America and parts of Europe 
is that there's not enough preaching like this and there's not enough preaching against sin and you're seeing a lot of people that are in church pews that are shacked up together having sex outside of marriage they're having adulterous affairs okay they're going out they're doing drugs they're getting drunk they're partying and they go to church and they're totally in sin and really it's a hypocritical thing but they don't really know better because nobody's telling them anything and whenever they go to hell the blood of those people is going to be on the preacher that was a spineless coward that would not tell them the truth all right so how does god feel about divisive people proverbs 6 16 now everybody say this out loud pastor scott did not write this. This is in the Bible. Okay. So let me read this. All right. Proverbs six sixteen. It says, There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who sows discord among the brethren. Pastor Scott did not say this. It's in the Bible. But the Bible says that God hates the person that sows discord among the brethren. Now listen, I've got to live my life walking around in shoe leather and be on this earth, you know, the time I'm here. I don't want to be somebody that God, the Bible says that God hates. Amen. I want to be somebody the Bible says that God loves and wants to bless. So how do we turn things around? I've already mentioned some of it. We forgive people. We bless those that curse us. We pray for our enemies. We let God fight our battles. Don't be a control freak. Don't try to fix everything. Don't try to run in there. He says, she said, do all this stuff. You know, there's a place and a time for that. People come to me, what what was said. I'll tell them what was said. But you don't go running out there trying to fix everything. You're just going to make everything worse. You've got to conquer this stuff in prayer and fasting. Because it's a spiritual battle. But also be willing to reconcile. If people come to you with sincere repentance, be willing to reconcile with them. Okay? But, let me say this again. You've got to set godly boundaries with people. The Bible says to strive to be at peace with all men, but that does not mean that we have the same level of relationship with all men. When relationships are not filtered through Scripture, we remove ourselves from God's design. We've got to be careful that we are filtering all relationships through the Word of God and that it's lining up with Scripture. And here's some different Scriptures for you to look at. Listen, as I close this out, I actually want to pray. I want us to move into a time of intercession and prayer. We're going to do a little bit of spiritual warfare. And break some things because there have been some some areas of some spiritual warfare in the past that's come against us. There's nothing going on right now. If there was, I'd tell you. It's not like that. But this sermon, how many knows this is important? This is real important. It's important that we understand that we're accountable for our actions and we've got to be careful what we're doing and make sure that we're not a puppet of the devil. Make sure that you're honoring. Uh, churches and that you're honoring God's anointed and that you have a, a right heart. You know what rebellion a lot of times, the reason why people get rebellious is because they're trying to go outside of what God has actually called them to do anyway. 
Like, for example, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram are famous, or I should say infamous, for their rebellion they led against Moses. But the reason why is because Moses and Aaron, Aaron were Levites, and Korah was a Levite, and Korah thought, well, if they're Levites and I'm Levites, why can't I be doing what they're doing? Who are you, Moses, to be leading us out here? I could do it. Somebody else could do it. Who do you think you are? And he began to rebel. And God's response to that was, God opened the earth underneath them. The earth swallowed them, closed up over them, and they went straight to hell. But here's the, here's the thing. Don't go outside of your calling. See, Korah was trying to go beyond what God had actually called him to do. He was called to be a Levite. Therefore, he would have had a role in the Levitical priesthood. He would have done something. He would have been a part of God, you know, sacrificing the animals, burning the incense, whatever. He was a part of it. But he, didn't, he wasn't content there. He wanted to go up and be like Moses. Are you seeing what I'm saying? A lot of rebellion has to do with going outside of your actual calling. And learning to be content with where you are. And where God's put you. But I want people within the sound of my voice, I want you to be able to become everything God's called you to be. I don't want to die one day and realize that I was at a 30-fold level in my life. I don't want to die and realize I was at a 60-fold level. I want to go to the grave knowing that I was at a 100-fold level. That everything God had called me to do, I was moving in it. I was flowing in the gifts. But to do that, you have to be properly under authority. Everybody has authority over them. And we've got to honor that and move under authority and, and be in unity with the body, be at peace with people. And let me tell you, just because sometimes we don't agree with things doesn't mean that we're always right. How many times, how many of you would admit there's been times in your life where your opinion just happened to be wrong? And the arrogant people didn't raise their hand. That's okay. I'll pray for you later. I've been wrong before, okay? But here's the thing that people need to understand. Just because you just vehemently believe something does not mean that you're infallible and perfect and that you're right all the time. There's a possibility, though it may be so slim, there's a possibility that you might be wrong and that the authority over you might be right. And if people are really humble... They don't really have a problem with that. They're humble and they go, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. But anyway, I want to pray. Let's go ahead and I'm going to pray now and close out the recordings. Now I'm going to move into, we're going to move to some spiritual warfare. Will you all go with me in this tonight? Lord, we pray for tonight. I, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you it's getting out there changing lives and helping people and I bless those that have been watching this or listening to this that you're a fruitful vine and you're going to be able to fulfill all God's called you to do and the Lord's going to give you the grace to be strong in the Lord and his power and Lord I pray that in the areas where people maybe need to be convicted and they need to change in certain areas Lord I pray that the blood of Jesus come and help people to get washed clean but also the spirit of God to be released and that he would help sanctify and change people into the image of Christ. And Lord, I bind and I take authority over any witchcraft or any divisive spirits and things that have been coming against people's lives. Maybe some people that are listening to this, you've been attacked by the devil. You may be listening to this in your car and you think, well, it's a recording. I'm still praying for you. Agree with me right now. 
And anybody that's been a target of witchcraft, you've been a target of the dark arts, you've been a target of some form of, of curses and manipulation and control of Jezebel's spirit, I agree with you and those here agree with me that we bind that and we break that right now off your life in Jesus' name. I break that yoke and I break those curses and the things that have been spoken against you, I break that off your life and I command those dark forces that have been attacking you, I bind you and you're going to leave right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for a breakthrough and a freedom right now. You know, and before we go off, I want to say one more thing. Sometimes when people are not getting a breakthrough somewhere in your life, it could be healing. Listen to me, please. Everybody hear me. There's a stubborn issue. It could be a healing issue. It could be a deliverance issue. There's something and you're not going to break a breakthrough. A lot of times, if you'll really seek God, eventually God will help you see that there's something behind the scenes and there's a spiritual battle going on. And there's a hindering spirit at work. Are you hearing me? Because there's too many people that I've seen that went and they legitimately got healed. They were totally healed. And then it started to come back. And then they would get healed again. And then it would come back. And then they would get healed. There's a spirit there. Let's call it like it is. Let's just be honest. It, it, there's a spiritual battle. And sometimes it goes back to the very things I'm preaching about. That there's people that may be speaking evil against you and praying against you. And there's something going on and it's releasing a curse. And it's affecting. And listen, forgive them and love them, but do what I said do. If you walk in forgiveness and love, bless them, pray for them. But also take authority and break that stuff off your life. You can start getting a breakthrough. And Lord, I pray as, we, as, as we're about to go up, but I pray for those that are having stubborn battles. And everybody's agreeing with me. Those have stubborn battles, stubborn battles in their finances, stubborn battles in their life spiritually, stubborn battles in different areas. Lord, we put the blood of Jesus over them. And I ask the Holy Spirit to be released and to begin to change all those circumstances in their life. And Father, we bless them into freedom and break that off them, that yoke of bondage. We break it off of them in Jesus' name right now. And we command any hindering spirit to leave and to be bound and go right now in Jesus' name. And we ask you, Lord, from this place, right now, those that are even listening to this, you know, years from now, that the angels of the Lord would be dispatched right now that will literally dismantle satanic structures, bring a breakthrough, and destroy the works of the devil and push it back out of people's lives. And there's going to be a freedom right now in Jesus' name. I declare and command healing to flow I command that there be resources come in and that things that have been stubborn, I declare that it will begin to move out of the way by the Spirit of God. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name.